Two Chocolate Cakes is a story of two cakes, bookended at the beginning of one life and at the end of another, and all the culinary and emotional layers in between those moments. Debbie Guidry's New Orleans-style hummus and chips. After that rainy, chilly wedding in Lyme, Patrick and I moved almost exactly one year later to the West Coast to claim our destiny. We gave notice at our jobs at the university, and our friends had a fare thee well for us. I had gone on a fact-finding mission a few months before the move and interviewed and got a job at Columbia Sportswear, found an apartment, and set up bank accounts. My mother had a little goodbye cook out, and the rocks came by, and Kay, who was almost eight months pregnant. The day after Memorial Day, I packed up a week's worth of clothes, a pillow, sheets, two cats, and a few good books, and flew to the West Coast to our new city of Portland, Oregon. One cat rode with me in the cabin, while the other flew in the animal compartment with the baggage. Both arrived in good shape, although Mr. Kitty was spoiled from five hours of salmon treats brought to him from the flight attendants in first class. Jack Diesel appeared nonplussed as I picked him up in his carrier from baggage claim while Mr. Kitty yelled the entire time. I bungee corded their two crates together on my luggage cart and rented a car which took us to our new, beautiful, empty apartment. Meanwhile, Patrick and my best friend Ray drove a truck packed full of our post-collegiate stuff, towing our little used Hyundai. They were to arrive in five days, maybe four if they only stopped a few times. Ray would help us settle in, do a little sightseeing, and plan to use my return ticket back to Rhode Island the following week. It was his wedding present to us. While it was a relief to make the move in one day from the comfort of an airplane and then a rented car, I almost envied Patrick and Ray's trip across the country. Almost. The apartment I had rented two months before was large, to us, sunny and quiet. The building was an L-shaped art deco with large windows and high ceilings and glossy wood floors. And even though it only had three rooms, it was still double the size of our little attic apartment we left behind in Rhode Island. It was walking distance to almost everything, including two lush green parks, a grocery and a department store in which anything could be bought, a neighborhood bar, a movie theater, and four different Starbucks. It was exactly what we wanted, having come from the smallest state in the country, but where almost all the things were too far away to walk to comfortably. After getting off the plane, I bundled the cats and my luggage into my nondescript rental and headed toward the city. It stretched out in front of me when I drove in on I-84 like the Emerald City in The Wizard of Oz. A fresh rain had washed away all the leaves and litter and refuse of city living. Twenty minutes later, I pulled up in front of Randall Street. The live-in manager wasn't there, so back into the car with the cats. I went shopping for a futon, some groceries, some cat food, litter boxes. I lingered in the grocery store looking for some familiar New England brands and products. This move was exciting, sure, but that didn't mean I wasn't already missing the comforts of home. When I returned, the manager let me into my apartment, greeted the kitties, 
and handed me the keys and left me alone in the echoing rooms. I stood in the middle of the big living room with the two walls of windows and wondered what to do next while the cats checked out all the corners and cabinets and sinks. Less than a day in, the adventure was wearing thin, and I felt a little lonely. But over the course of the next few days, I visited my new job in the renovated Maraschino Cherry Factory and filled out all my new job paperwork and stocked the cabinets with crackers and peanut butter and tea bags and sugar in the fridge with Cokes. I put the futon in the middle of the living room, my only furniture. Patrick and Ray called from the road, their voices getting more ragged and grumpy after each night in a seedy motel with lumpy mattresses and another 800 miles on the odometer. I had one friend in Portland, someone I had met years before in college, and we stayed in touch, and he brought me a spare phone, a pan for boiling water for tea, a radio, a cup and a dish, and a few utensils, and a sleeping bag. And so I passed the first days in my new city. The cats got restless and knocked my toothbrush off the sink, scaring me in the middle of the night, and I didn't sleep well at all, and so I left the radio on all the time and didn't seem so alone. At the end of the week, after I had run all my errands and dropped off the rental car and took a cab back to the apartment, I brought Jack out into the building's yard on his little blue leash and harness. It was a beautiful early June day in our courtyard. That Pacific Northwest grassy green and with a big pine tree in the middle, the lawn was a good spot to walk the cat. My apartment was on the inside of the L-shaped building and I could see Mr. Kitty in the open window watching as Jack and I sniffed at the fresh clean air and all the roses under the first floor windows. We said hi to a neighbor with packages and then the big door slammed behind us as she went in and the locks tumbled into place and that sound frightened Jack who started to pull hard against his harness and then started jumping and freaking out like he was being electrocuted. I grabbed him up and sprinted for the door, but in his panic, he managed to sink his teeth right into my hand. I didn't even feel it as I slipped the key into the lock. Jack snug under my arm like a football. I dropped him in the hallway and he ran up to our door with his little blue leash dragging behind him. The phone was ringing when I went into the apartment and I sat on the floor to answer it. Jack had hidden himself into a kitchen cabinet. My heart was pounding in my ears, and I barely heard my father's voice on the other end of the phone line, on the other end of the country. He asked me how I was, and I told him fine. I lay on the cool, hard wooden floor trying to calm down while my father hammered me with questions about Portland, the apartment, and my job. I got him up to speed on all those things, and he said that I sounded off, and I told him that I had had a little accident with the cat that he had bitten me just a little nip while we were outside. Dad kept talking about Fisher's Island and stuff going on at work, and I could now see the damage the cat bite had done. He had bitten straight through from the back of my hand to my palm in several places, and I could see that the bone was chipped and shredded tendon on my index finger. I got a little dizzy looking at the puncture wounds, and Dad's voice seemed so far away as he made me promise I would get to the emergency room as soon as possible. I didn't tell him I had already returned the rental car that very afternoon, and then we hung up the phone. I wasn't sure what to do. I called my one friend, and he wasn't home. My hand didn't really hurt, but since I could almost see daylight through the bite marks, I knew it wasn't going to be good. I called the manager's apartment. They weren't home either. I looked up and down the hallway at the closed doors, thinking magically one would open, but none did. So I went back inside. And I looked out the window in the living room at all the other windows of the building. 
The soundtrack from Phantom of the Opera was playing loudly in one of the other apartments. And a quick bit of window math revealed that it was the apartment on my floor right at the opposite corner from mine. And I could see the tenant dancing with a wine glass in front of her open windows. And so I counted the interior doors to her apartment and knocked loudly. She didn't have any Band-Aids or antibacterial salve, but she did have Kleenex and scotch tape. And between sips from her giant wine glass, she soaked my hand in a Tupperware bowl full of warm water and just soap, and then she taped up my hand. She invited me to have a drink with her, and since I didn't seem to have anywhere else to go, I accepted her invitation. The nice day turned into a lovely evening, and we sat in the window and got to know each other. She was a few years older, K's age maybe, uh, from New Orleans, and worked in the insurance industry doing something that sounded really boring. Debbie brought out some hummus and chips, and I realized I hadn't eaten all day. Nothing tasted better than that creamy beige spread with some salty tortilla chips, and I washed it down with the cold white wine in my own giant glass. Ree and Dennis, the building managers, came up around eight after getting my voicemail message looking for help. They saw us in the window and joined us for beers. My hand was throbbing, but it was so nice to be with people again, so I just ignored it. Patrick and Ray, somewhere in Idaho earlier in the day, were due that evening. Around midnight, Patrick thought, when we had talked the night before. Darkness falls late out west, and it was almost nine o'clock and still light when the police came to the apartment building. Dennis went downstairs to find out what they wanted, and then brought them upstairs. Two tall, crisp police officers stood in the doorway, their hands on their gun and tool belts, and one of them asked me seriously if I was Jennifer Coleslaw. My blood stopped in my veins. Had there been an accident with Ray and Patrick? Were, were they dead? I, I stammered out a yes. Ma'am, one of them said with just a hint of exasperation in his voice, call your father. He says you were in an accident earlier and he's been trying to call you for hours. He thinks you're lying on the floor of your apartment in shock. He glanced around the room at the empty wine and beer bottles and bags of tortilla chip crumbs and looked at his partner, who also looked bemused. Debbie stifled a drunken laugh as I started breathing again, and I probably blushed terribly, and I promised to go right to my own apartment and call home. The phone, which was on the floor because I had no furniture, was off the hook, probably having been a victim to Jack and Mr. Kitty playing a game of grab ass in the empty living room. I told my father I had been at the emergency room and that the cats must have knocked the phone over. I assured him I was fine, just a little woozy from pain medication. He said he'd call Kay and let her know that I wasn't dead and that she could call my mother. Ray and Patrick arrived around midnight and we pulled another futon off the truck and we tumbled into piles to sleep. We unhooked the car from the trailer in the morning and ye used ye old yellow pages to find the nearest emergency clinic where I spent the morning having my hand, which had swollen overnight to the size of a blown-up surgical glove, drained of the infection which had already spread up my arm past my elbow. It took more than a month of strong and expensive antibiotics for the infection to clear, and almost six months before I got the full range of motion back in my hand. But Jack Diesel was fine. Debbie Guidry's New Orleans-style hummus and chips. According to Debbie, the New Orleans part is that you drink a lot while you eat this. 
One quart of hummus from Fred Meyer on Northeast 28th Street. Two large bags of salted white corn tortilla chips, any brand. One lemon. Several bottles of wine or a case of beer. Open a bottle of wine. Pour a glass for yourself. Juice that lemon. Dump the contents of the container of hummus into a nice bowl. Mix the juice of the lemon into the hummus. Mix it thoroughly. Put a little swirl in it with your spoon. Trust me, it'll look good. Refill your wine glass. Place the bowl of hummus on a large plate and arrange chips around the bowl. Refill your wine glass. Put the plate on the, with the hummus and the chips down on a little table. Refill your wine glass. Open another bottle of wine. Repeat as necessary and enjoy. Serves eight without wine or beer, two with wine or beer. Thank you for listening. For more information about the recipes you've heard here, including author notes, photos, secret tips, and more, please visit twochocolatecakes.com. That's two, the word two, chocolatecakes.com.